please remain standing for the reading of God's word now. It comes to us from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. This is the testimony of the Apostle John concerning Jesus. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him again the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to him, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that his disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is his will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, as we come to you now to hear your words spoken through Pastor Andrew, we pray, O oh God, that our hearts would receive them. May our hearts take in these words of life. I pray that you would be with Pastor Andrew as he speaks now. I pray that all those who are here that are listening today, if there are any that are here, O oh God, that do not know you, may they turn from their sin and trust you. Let us all rejoice in these words. We pray these things now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I've been uh, checking in a little bit with a docu-series on Netflix called Last Chance You. It's about a basketball program in East L.A. 
Uh, it's a junior college program, and kind of the way it's the last chance you is uh, for athletes who maybe were, were very skilled but have blown it, uh, maybe at another program, uh, maybe they've had injuries, maybe life has pressed in on them in some way, they've been in trouble with the law, different things. This is kind of their, their last chance to, to make an impression, maybe move on to scholarship basketball, maybe a path to the NBA, whatever it might be. It's an interesting cast of characters that the coach, John Mosley, has, uh, has uh, assembled. Uh, John himself uh, was, a, uh, was a basketball player and somebody who made a lot of mistakes in his life. And every person that walks in the door, every player, he, he sees himself in. And uh, it takes a lot of patience. Uh, one of the early episodes sort of highlights uh, Joe. Joe Hampton was a, a major high school recruit, high four-star, full-ride scholarship, uh, had gotten to his university, uh, blew out first one knee, then he blew out the other knee. Uh, his uh, anger, bitterness just over life, all of these different things started to press in on him. He ate himself out of the program, was depressed, got in trouble with the law, uh, didn't think he was going anywhere in life in terms of his, uh, in terms of his talent, but found his way to East L.A., and he is still battling demons. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of anger. There's times when calls aren't going his way, and, and he'll storm off the court cursing. It's not a completely family-friendly, uh, <laughs> it's very real, very raw, you know, cursing the officials, smashing the locker room, throwing chairs, all of this. But uh, Mosley, in, in, in an interview, like, how do you... You know, how do you handle something like that? How do you stick with a guy like that? And he said, listen, everybody in this program has been quit on so many times over the course of their life. Um, we can't quit on them. We, we can't quit on these guys. We can't, if you read my, my Friday letter uh, just quick musings on cancel culture. We, we can't cancel them just because they've messed up, just because they, they maybe are in a different place than we are. They, they don't have their stuff together. We've got to stick with them. We've got to help them find who they are supposed to be. In a very real sense, this uh, chapter 21 of John is last chance you for the disciples uh, here, uh, Peter and John and some of the others meet Jesus on the beach. This is the third time that they have met him post-resurrection, according to John. Uh, he's appeared to them a, a couple of different times. Uh, but here Jesus meets them, interacts with them in such a way that they know, and particularly Peter, uh, Peter comes to know that he is restored uh, Peter comes to know that he is uh, forgiven, has dignity, and has purpose in his life. And this is something that each one of us needs to connect with. And this is what is so beautiful uh, about the gospel. We've been looking at John over the last several weeks and, and particularly focusing in on the I am statements. And 
thought that this would be a good way to sort of close that series, not because it has a last I am statement, but because in it we meet Jesus encapsulating all of the different I am's that he said that he was. Jesus was declaring in that his character, he is the light of the world, the bread of life, the vine, the way, the truth, the life, the door, the shepherd, the alpha, the omega, all of the different things that we have looked at. Uh, Jesus is declaring both who he was, but also what we need. And, uh, and that's what we really see, especially as we connect through the eyes of Peter this morning. So I want to walk through this passage and uh, sort of use these I am statements that we've been studying to frame it. Uh, but let, let's see how we uh, meet Jesus here as this one on the shore. So first of all, Jesus is a light in a dark place. Peter was in a very, very dark place. If you paid attention to the moment of meditation, you, you recognize that, that Peter had uh, really, really, really uh, failed the Lord Jesus. Peter was always impetuous. You, you know, one moment he's making these great uh, professions. You know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And the very next moment he would say something and Jesus would say to him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, not always an encouraging thing uh, to hear from the Lord. Uh, but this was sort of Peter's up and down. And the, the last night uh, that where Jesus was betrayed, we, we saw this come through in Peter in spades. Jesus was saying to his disciples as they're gathered in the upper room, he's like, you are all going to be scattered and, and you are going to deny me. And, and Peter stands up and he says, Lord, even though all the rest of these will fall away, I will never fall away. I mean, Peter makes his boast. They remember in, in the garden, and actually Jesus says to him, no, Peter, specifically you are going to deny me three times. Uh, and then in the garden, of course, they come to capture Jesus. Peter unsheathes his sword and cuts off the ear of Melchus. He, he doesn't get what Jesus is doing. Jesus reprimands him, put your sword away. Will I not drink the cup that the Father has for me? Jesus pulls his disciples to pray with him. Peter falls asleep. Uh, and then, of course, later on, Jesus is taken uh, captive. Uh, Peter does deny him round the fire with the various people, with this little servant girl. Uh, it's actually told us that on the third time that he denied the Lord, he did so with curses. Uh, and theologian uh, Richard Bachman, New Testament scholar, he suggests that the curses were, were most likely curses against the Lord himself. So vehement was Peter's denial at that time. And so Peter is in a dark, dark place. You remember Luke. Uh, he gives us the little detail that after Peter denied him a third time, the Lord turned and looked at him, and Peter was cut to the heart, and he wept bitterly. A and we start here because this is where we all um, can, and we need to connect with Peter, because the reality is, is there is not a single one of us uh, that has not 
made our way to this sort of dark place uh, by denying the Lord. Uh, over the course of this past week, uh, probably even this morning, we have denied the Lord enough that were that the only record to stand against us in the last day, we would all deserve hell. Uh, we have lied, we have cheated, we have misrepresented who we are, we have boasted, we have denied the Lord's power in doing things, we have torn the hide off of our kid or our spouse or uh, a political opponent with our anger, our bitterness resides in us, uh, we have, you know, escaped the world, drowning ourselves in Netflix or Amazon Prime or porn or whatever it is. We have all found ways to deny the Savior uh, to the core, and we have found ourselves in a dark, dark, dark place. But this is where Jesus comes, and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light because I became your darkness. You know, when, when he hung on the cross and darkness settled over the earth, it was as if the darkness took over Jesus. In fact, the apostle says, uh, he became, he who knew no sin became sin for our sake. Jesus knows our darkness in order that he can be the light of the world. And that's where this story goes because Peter, uh, Jesus doesn't leave Peter in his darkness. And that's part of the gospel story as well. Jesus doesn't leave us in our darkness, but he restores us uh, and he puts us back into uh, service for him. He, he asks us to be the person that he has called us to be. How does he do that? How is Jesus the door? How is Jesus the way to truth and life? How is Jesus the resurrection and the life in our lives and in Peter's lives, uh, Peter's life as we look at this story? Well, that's where we go next. It's interesting here. We notice sort of both uh, what Jesus does and how Peter responds. What Jesus does uh, is fascinating because he basically recreates the scene of Peter's failure. In so many different ways, this breakfast on the beach kind of uh, gives Peter a close-up view of his own failure. Notice it's, it's with other people, it's with the disciples, it's, it's public. Uh, the restoration of Peter is public, just as his failure was very, very public. So is his restoration. It even takes place around a meal. Uh, we're told in the text a little bit before we started reading that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them. It's around a fire. Peter's denials came around the fire. The hot embers of his denial now become the hot embers of his restoration. But even the things that Jesus says, you noticed in verse, I think it's verse 15, right, right there at the beginning of our passage, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yeah, he, he is just reminding Peter of his own boast, reminding Peter, he said, even though everybody else will fall away, I will never fall away. And of course, 
uh, Peter must have been pained a little bit when he was reminded of that by Jesus. And we know that he was pained when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, and the text tells us that, that Peter was pained when he asked him a third time. Jesus here is exposing Peter. He's laying him bare. Uh, some might say Jesus has got a knife and has stuck it in him and is, and is just twisting it every step along the way. But this is part of the path of restoration. And, and I think maybe one way that's helpful to see this, it's not that Jesus is, is taking a knife and is sticking it in him, just twisting it uh, sadistically, but rather Jesus is the surgeon. Many of you know our daughter-in-law Morgan just had surgery, and I, I got her permission to reference her this morning. But you know she has a big scar, you know, from the back of her ear all the way to the middle of her throat. And uh, the doctor went in with a scalpel and laid her open, muscle and nerves and blood vessels and all of those things. But it was for the purpose of getting rid of all of that cancer getting all of the poison out of her, giving her life. It was a cut that healed. And Jesus here, as the great physician, the surgeon, is giving Peter a cut, not that twists the knife in in order to bring pain, but it's a cut that heals, that he would extricate all of the garbage that is inside Peter and that is inside us. And this is part of the path. You know, when, when Jesus comes into our life, uh, he asks us to be honest with who we are, with where we've been. We, we cannot evade or avoid this. We oftentimes will say that the gospel really is a, is a two-part realization. Realization number one is that we are more wrecked, broken, messed up than we ever could have imagined. The darkness in our inside of our heart isn't just a, a two-degree missing of the mark. You know, the darkness inside of our heart is a complete and total denial of who Jesus is, and we absolutely deserve the worst punishment that can be imagined. But the second part is that we are more loved and accepted than we ever would have dared hoped. And Peter is reckoning with this. Like to be somebody who is called to be a carrier as the, of the gospel, as Peter is, he first has to be a character in that gospel story. He first has to recognize the, the depth of the love of Jesus, and he cannot recognize that depth until he recognizes the depth of his own sin. And part of our journey with Jesus is, is recognizing that. And part of it is, is sitting still and allowing the surgeon to cut us. Uh, you can't be thrashing around on the table while the surgeon is doing his work. You, you have to remain still and, uh, and allow him to work. And I think we really see this with Peter. 
Um, you know, when, when Jesus says, Simon, uh, son of John, do you love me more than these? He, he says, you know that I love you. And, and he asks him a second, and then he asks him a third time. And the third time, Peter says to him, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter here, I don't believe, is being defensive at all. Uh, but he is laying still under the knife, and he's allowing the Lord to search him and to know him. Very much the spirit of Psalm 139, 23, 24, where David says, search me and know me, try me, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Peter's saying, Lord, you know. You are the searcher of hearts. I, I can't hide anything from you. And he allows the Lord uh, to, to come and to search him and to be still. This is a discipline. Uh, it's also a grace. I mean, when the Lord really sets us free, when we recognize his love enough to let us do that, I've always been... Um, helped by the work of Susan Johnson. She's a, a secular counselor. Uh, she's talking about relationships, marriage, uh, other things. She, she says that you have to be careful to avoid the demon dialogue. So, uh, you know, if you're married, here's some free counseling advice for you. The demon dialogues. Uh, the protest polka. Uh, no, I didn't do that. Uh, the find the bad guy, well, I maybe did that, but you have done this even more. Uh, and then the freeze and flee. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, we're we're out of here. And, and as much as we do that in our relationships, we also do that with God. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, you know, we, we protest, you know, yeah, I did that, but it's not really that bad. Uh, we, we love to play that find the bad guy. You know, if my life had been different, you know, think back to Adam, you know, the woman you gave me, the snake, the serpent, you know, we're, we're always blame shifting. We're, we're trying to, to put it oftentimes on God. God, if you had arranged my life differently, I wouldn't have done this thing. Uh, or just the freeze and flee. We, we don't even want to go there. We don't want to look. We just want to escape. We want to find, uh, we want to avoid the deep, uh, pussy parts of our own hearts. Uh, we do not want to deal with it. But part of what Peter does and part of what God is inviting us to is to find ourselves sitting still underneath the, the careful cut of the surgeon's hand in order that we might find our way to truth and life. And notice, uh, Peter does, and this is really the third thing here that we want to pay attention to, is that Peter is restored. Uh, as, as he undergoes the, the ministry of Jesus this morning on the beach, Peter is, is restored in two particular ways. Uh, he, he's restored to, to being a sheep, uh, to, to following the good shepherd. And, and Peter certainly references this. First Peter 5, he, he talks about Jesus being the great shepherd, uh, church folks being the under-shepherds. He's restored in a couple of ways. One, uh, feeding. Two, following, if you're outliners. Uh, let's look at feeding first. Notice here, three times, 
Peter says, or Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. This is all in the context of a story that needs to be carried out. The end of the passage that we read, the end of the book of John, uh, John says, the testimony that I am writing down is true. These are the words. This is the revelation of who Jesus is, the bread of life, the vine, the branches, uh, the, the resurrection and the life. This is the testimony that we need to be taking into the world. This is the testimony that we need to, to get in front of one another and we need to, to eat in order that we might have life, the bread of life that is going to sustain us. This is what we are called to share. And Peter specifically was called to, to be a leader in the early church, if not the leader. You know, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Uh, and Peter was called to, to service and to serve the same gospel message to the sheep. It's interesting, you know, one of the things that Jesus does here with Peter is he turns him back to community. And that's always part of it. You know, when God restores us, he doesn't just restore us individually to this, uh, it's now me and God together and, and we're off in the corner. You know, we've, we've done a lot this past year of worshiping in our homes and, and we needed to do that. I'm not questioning any of that, but that's not what we were created for. Uh, we were always created to turn back to the community and to be a part of that, to feed and to tend, to care for. Uh, and these are Jesus' sheep. Uh, he reminds us that uh, we are to love and to care for each other just in the same way that he loves and cares for us. At our 11.30 service, we're going to baptize Lara Eldersveld. I, I trust many of you know John and Courtney uh, and, and Lara, the story. They're adopting her, age of 12, 13, from Columbia. And, and just the, the call, every time we have baptism, to, to care for, to tend the lambs, you know, whether it's Christ Kids Worship or however we do that, uh, as we see a, a young person brought from one community to another, from one language group to another, being, you know, paying attention to the vulnerabilities, I mean, that's what sheep are. Sheep are these incredibly valuable animals but they're also incredibly fragile and, and need to be cared for. And, and Jesus here takes Peter and he says, okay, now you know. You know what it is to be restored. Feed my sheep. Be the one that I have called you to be. Uh, turn yourself back to community. Tend, care for one another. Uh, show forth the, the truth of God's word that will really bring life to our hearts and to our souls. Lastly, just notice here that, that part of this ongoing work of shepherding is always following. We, we have a great shepherd, and uh, we also have the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You remember, uh, how did Jesus come to Peter? Actually, what were the first recorded words to Peter? John 1, verse 43 follow me. And here in nearly his last recorded words to Peter, 
uh, he, he repeats it not once but twice. Follow me. You follow me. And, and this is where we, we are always, always called. This is the place of a disciple. On the heels of our master, uh, listening to his teaching, uh, following in the places where he leads. Now, we recognize and we recognize from this text that it's not always easy. You notice what he says to Peter, I think it's verses 18 and 19, he says, when you were young, uh, you dressed yourself and you, where you went where you want, but when you are old, somebody else will dress you and they will take you where you do not want to go. You will, stre- you will be stretched out or you'll stretch out your arms. A- and that phrase was a well-known euphemism in those days for Roman crucifixion. And of course, John highlights that for us. He said this to indicate the manner with which Peter would die uh, and which he would glorify the Lord in his death. Uh, it's not easy to follow the Savior, uh, it, at least not easy in terms of this world's evaluation. It often leads us into difficult places, difficult places with family and friends where we're having to stand for truth in a particular way, difficult places in our careers where we may have to say, no, I realize that this is the path to uh, a higher position, this is the path to more money, but it's not a path that I as a disciple can follow. Uh, It leads us to difficult places uh, with our friends sometimes where we have to stand against the the tide and the things that they want us to do. It's not always easy. In fact, for Peter, it was an invitation to come and die. And Peter knew it. Peter knew it his, his entirety of his life. This is probably, he is told this probably 30 to 35 years before he is actually crucified. Tradition has it. It's around the year uh, 64 A.D. This was probably around the year 30 A.D. Uh, so for 30, 35 years of his life, Peter had this death sentence, as it were, hanging over him. And yet... He knew that this was the path that he had to follow. And you hear it. You hear it in his uh, epistle, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. He talks about suffering, bearing up under suffering. It's so interesting just to realize how the encounter with Jesus transformed these disciples. You know, the, the, the disciples of the gospel, uh, they were the oligopistoi, the, the little faith ones, Jesus calls them in Matthew. They were the deniers, they were the scatterers, they were all of that. Uh, but, you know, through the restoration of Jesus, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, they become the people uh, that changed the world. I mean, Twelve ordinary guys along with the, the sister. I mean, they change the world because of their following of Jesus. And it's such an encouraging story because this, and we relate to it. We relate to the failure. We relate to the weakness. But we also embrace the promise uh, that following Jesus, we have our path. Just I have like three other things, two really quick, uh, and they're almost a little bit tangential. First of all, notice that in following him, we all have our own path. You know, right away, Peter's like, he, he notices John. Peter, I think, is maybe a little bit ADD. You know, Jesus says, you're going to die this way. 
oh, well, what about him? And, uh, and, and Jesus says, I'm not telling you his story. I'm telling you your story. You are to follow me. But we can be a lot like Peter. We, we want to compare ourselves to others. We want to compare our story to others. Uh, and sometimes that can be the source of our bitterness. Like, Lord, why? Why is my story so doggone hard? Why does this feel so difficult? Why don't they have it? First of all, you don't know your neighbor very well because everybody is following Jesus. It's rough. You know, whether it's relationships, whether it's cancer, whether it's finances, whether it's calling, whether it's depression, anxiety, we all are struggling somewhere along the line. But you have your own unique story, and and you are to follow Jesus in that way. Uh, Secondly, just tangentially, you know, he talks about the glorifying God in our death. I I don't know when I'm going to die. It could be today. Uh, could be tomorrow. It's the same for all of us, no matter how old, how young you are. You know, but there is something about that, and I think Peter lived into that, knowing he was going to die, even knowing the manner in which he was going to die. Uh, he lived his life so that he could uh, glorify God in his death. You know, believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I know that some of you, uh, from a physical standpoint, are closer to that than others, and, and maybe some of you feel like you're, you're very close. Uh, but glorifying God in our death is just such a beautiful thing to hold against us. Death is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. And, and here's, here's the last thing that I'll mention, and this is really where our hope is. When Jesus says, follow me, part of... <laughs> What we need to avoid is focusing over much on the what. We've actually been talking about the what all morning. We've been talking about repentance. We've been talking about sitting still under the knife. We've been talking about uh, following Jesus, feeding sheep. I mean, there's a lot of what here. But the most important thing to remember is the who. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I am the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, the bread of life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the great shepherd. I am the door. I am the great I am. And as you abide in me, you will have the life and you will have the strength and you will have the grace to go forward. We all have challenges in our life, but if, like Peter, we, you know, jump out of the boat and and we run to Jesus, if we sit still under the knife, allow him to search us and to know us, to try us, he will lead us in the way everlasting. I will never leave you or forsake you, the Savior promises. Follow me. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise for all of us. And Lord, we, we, we see ourselves so clearly through this passage. But I, I pray and um, our hope is 
Holy Spirit, we, we ask that we would see you even more clearly. We would see your love. We would meet you uh, as you meet us breakfast on the beach, last chance university, as it were. Uh, and we find that you never quit on us, that you always, always uh, pursue to restore. Lord, I don't know where <coughs> I don't know where everybody is this morning. Uh, as you indicate to Peter, we, we each have our own journeys. I pray for those who are really discouraged. I pray for those who, I uh, maybe just needed a word to, to kick them in the right direction. I, I pray for those who have absolutely despaired of ever finding um, acceptance and love, especially with the God of the universe. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, put that tractor beam on us and draw us to yourself. Um, even if we come kicking and screaming, Lord, may it be that we come and that we find you. May we find you who is the resurrection and the life. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.